Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. Today I'm chatting with Morgan Jarrett, Executive Chef of Steak Grill and Bar located in New York City's Empire State Building. The restaurant is challenged to serve two different demographics, tourists who dine there after visiting the iconic skyscraper, alongside office workers and locals looking for a quick but more upscale lunch or a chef-inspired dinner. Morgan bridges the two by balancing seasonal farm-to-table dishes geared to adventurous tastes with more familiar steaks, pastas, and desserts. Listen as she shares her journey from Texas to Brooklyn and now Manhattan, how she has expanded her culinary comfort zone, and what she's planning for steak, grill, and bar in the year ahead. Welcome, Morgan. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. Hi, Pat. My pleasure to be here. Well, let's begin by you telling me a little bit about your culinary journey. How did you end up at steak, grill, and bar? Well, I started in Texas, which is where I'm from. I kind of got the itch for cooking when I was very young. You know, I was kind of the cook of the family. I had a really big family and um, a lot of those responsibilities fell on me. And I just, I loved it. It's been something I've been into my whole life. I never really knew it was an actual career path until I was in my early 20s in college. And I got a job cooking at a little wine bar in Fort Worth, Texas. And from there, I just realized I needed to go to culinary school and New York was the place for me. Uh, So I went to the French Culinary Institute um, in Soho in Manhattan. And then I ended up uh, at a small restaurant in Brooklyn called Searsucker. Some people may remember it. uh, It was ran by uh, Robert Newton and Carrie Diamond. Uh, Carrie runs a, a magazine called Cherry Bomb. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's about, you know, women and food and fashion. And then I stayed with them for several years and opened a couple more restaurants with them, uh, which were all on Smith Street in Brooklyn um, and really popular neighborhood favorites. And we had a great run on Smith Street. And then uh, I went on to open a restaurant with Robert Newton at Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Cool. And from there, it really just kind of continued to hone in on like farm to table cooking and really got to understand, you know, the seasons of uh, New York and just worked really closely with gardeners out there and got a really good grasp on, you know, really precise seasonality. Um, And then I got an opportunity to uh, move on to the Empire State Building in 2019. And that's where I'm at now. Well, super. So Steak Grill and Bar is run by the Patina Group, is that correct? Right. So is this your first experience with Patina Group? No. So they um, were actually the operating team behind Yellow Magnolia at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. So that's where I got started with them. So I kind of never actually had my sights on cooking in Manhattan. I really loved uh, Brooklyn and it had like, you know, kind of that small neighborhood feel. So this definitely took me out of my comfort zone, but it's really cool. So how did you develop a menu for steak, grill, and bar that kind of reflects the iconic character of the Empire State Building? That must have been a little uh, overwhelming, to say the least. It kind of was because, I mean, this is such a classic place. And I was uh, doing something a little more 
what's the word? I, I was cooking in a more kind of a, what do you call it? Hipster Brooklyn style, if you will. Um, so this kind of uh, put a little bit more rails on uh, my cooking, but it was really fun too. I mean, and since we are in the Empire State Building, uh, one of the, you know, key aspects of the restaurant is highlighting New York ingredients, New York spirits. So that's where I was able to tie my style in with the restaurant. And, you know, hopefully introduce people, uh, tourists who are not familiar with uh, what we do in New York and even the the workers that are in this building to, you know, bring them something fresh and just remind them a little bit, you know, about, you know, seasonality, uh, which is easy to forget when you're in that day-to-day bustle, you know, having your lunch salad or whatnot, you know. So I, I like to think that people stop for a minute of the day and, you know, just enjoy what we have to offer in New York. So do you use a lot of local ingredients? Like, you know, from, I know New York State grows a lot of produce and things that people aren't really aware of who come from outside New York. Right. I It's much easier in the summertime, of course. And like this time of year, you know, I lean a little bit more on uh, grains and root vegetables for sure. You know, I like to make a trip to the Union Square Farmer's Market. Um, It's a walking distance from here. Uh, So we like to source some things from there. And, you know, so while some of our items on the menu um, are staples and classics, you know, I have a lot of freedom to change up things seasonally. Well, tell me about some of those signatures that you created that are staples, as you call them. Um, Well, currently, obviously, you have to have a New York strip steak, right? But I like to kind of put my little twist on it with my favorite mushrooms, uh, which are a hint of the woods, and just a simple touch with like vincoto, which is a, you know, nice reduced wine. Currently, the beetroot bucatini is my favorite dish. Um, I feel like a lot of times people are looking to have a pasta dish in New York. We're known for Italian food, uh, but this is not an Italian restaurant and I'm not an Italian chef. So mm-hmm. I kind of do, I put my twist on it. Um, so it's a beetroot bucatini. It's made from a uh, fresh pressed beet juice. And then it's uh, tossed with a uh, fresh fennel and pecorino. And then we take the um, pulp from the juice and dehydrate it and turn that into crumbs that goes on top of the dish. So that takes place of like uh, breadcrumbs. Right. It's a, it's a good one for vegans too, I would imagine. But yes, we can definitely do that uh, vegan. A lot of the dishes on the menu, I can uh, turn into vegan dishes. And so what are some of the more on-trend menu items that you've introduced? I mean, the bucatini sounds very on-trend, but, you know, aside from steaks and chicken, which are staples, are there other more on-trend items? I mean, I'm working a lot this year with uh, frica, uh, which is a really cool grain. I think is a little less familiar to some. Currently, I I serve that with a black lime butter, uh, which has this like really great deep umami flavor. And the frica itself, I think is one of the most interesting grains because it actually has a taste of the ocean. Mm. Um, Some people say it tastes like uh, kombu or dashi. And it's literally just the grain that tastes like that. But that's a really nice one we've been playing around with this year. Otherwise, uh, something I've been using for several years, but it's still probably new to people, is um, an heirloom red corn polenta. Mm. Uh, You'll see that on my menus um, in various forms. One is um, 
polenta fritters with a tomato chutney. Uh, that dish is also completely plant-based. Um, and then our current scallop dish is also served with that. They've actually kind of rebranded the name of uh, these grits, I think, to appeal more to Gen Z. I just noticed they call them uh, unicorn grits now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds really interesting. I mean, and you called it polenta, but they're really interchangeable. <laughs> yeah, I have two different products. So sometimes mm. I, uh, depending on like the scallops right now, I'm actually using the the unicorn grits. Um, and then, yeah, they're very interchangeable. And you change the menu seasonally. Uh, so how many times a year is that? Four times or more? Exactly. Yeah. Four mm. times a year. And then sometimes, you know, if something just falls out of season or, you know, let's say there's a problem with a crop in California or something like that, then, you know, I take things um, off the menu. Um, like I'll, I'll be doing like a small menu change in January. Also, just because I'm bored with some things and I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good idea. I mean, January is kind of a blah month. People will appreciate it, I think. Yeah. And people start eating a little healthier in January. So honestly, that's a time for me to kind of do what I like to do, which is working with vegetables. So, you know, I plan on like changing up our falafel on our lunch menu and I'm going to work on a, a mushroom shawarma dish. Um, like I have some great cooks here from the CIA and um, one of them is very bright eyed and bushy tail and he's very excited to work on things. So, you know, having that kind of energy around helps me like be motivated to change things up. I'm like more change, the better for me. Now, I know that um, at dinner time anyway, you do some table side service and some you'd created a raclette which is really interesting. Can you describe that a bit? Yeah. So raclette is both the style of cheese and the name of the dish. Uh, It's a beautiful Alpine style French cheese, but the dish itself is traditionally served in the Swiss Alps. Um, So what we do, we have, um, I don't know if anyone knows this term anymore, but it's called a garridon, which is like a service cart. Uh, So on the cart, we have, uh, this really beautiful uh, lamp that is specifically just for melting raclette cheese. So then it's a large wedge of raclette that gets heated under the lamp. And then once it's ready, hot and bubbly, we roll it out to the table. And then we have a special knife that scrapes it onto some crispy uh, marble potatoes, pears, cornichon, and some crusty bread. And then it's kind of a nice appetizer for two. Yeah. Is it, has it been very popular with the colder weather? It has been, yes. <laughs> yeah. And do you do anything else table side on a cart? Yes, we just uh, launched our new King Kong Sunday. Uh, excuse me, <laughs> banana split. So that is uh, a couple of brulee bananas, three different types of ice cream, uh, whipped cream, marina cherries. And then table side, uh, we pour on hot chocolate sauce, passion fruit caramel, and then the guest has their choice of rainbow sprinkles, candied peanuts, coconut, and I'm drawing a blank on the fourth one. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like one more thing. It's like 15 ingredients, but it's kind of like everything you could ever want. Is that for sharing? It sounds pretty big. (laughs) I, you know, I, what I, the first person I served it to, I um, said that I was like, you know, 
I didn't want to put to share on the menu because I didn't want to shame anyone who wanted to eat it alone because I could probably eat it alone. <laughs> <laughs> but if you told me it was for two people, then I'd be embarrassed. So how how is the lunch menu different from the dinner menu? I mean, can you talk about some of the items on lunch that are have become really popular? Sure. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about the restaurant is that it really serves two very different demographics. And that's uh, been one of the bigger challenges for me to kind of bridge that gap in terms of the culinary message that we have here. You know, so anyone's ever been to a Midtown Manhattan lunch, then you see what it is, right? Like everyone has about an hour, hour and a half to get in, get out. And then a lot of New Yorkers are very health conscious. So you have a lot of diets. <laughs> um, so there is a, a big emphasis on salads with the lunch crowd. You know, we have a really great classic Cobb salad and Caesar salad you can't go wrong with. Um, but then I have uh, my favorite salad right now, which is with the uh, Castelfranco radicchio figs, pears, uh, local goat cheese, uh, toasted hazelnuts, and a maple vinaigrette. Mm, sounds yummy. And how about a burger? You must have a burger on the menu. The burger's fantastic. You can't go wrong with a burger. Um, Yeah, that's fresh Angus beef, brioche bun, double smoked bacon, smoked cheddar cheese, and then our house-made pickles. Definitely a classic. And you can get that at lunch and dinner. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say that and a glass of wine is a great deal. Now, you mentioned the banana split dessert. Um, Are you in charge of desserts, too, or do you have a separate pastry chef? I have a pastry cook, pastry chef, but I definitely work on designing uh, the dessert menu with her and conceptualizing those things. I'm not a pastry chef myself, but I'm an idea person. But yeah, she's she's been with me for quite a while. So she's one of my uh, strongest team members here. So what are some of the desserts that she's created for the restaurant? Um, I would say, I think her, I, if I could speak for her, our favorite one right now is definitely the um, New York apple upside down cake. Um, and we serve that uh, warm with a cider reduction that's drizzled table side. And it has a little vanilla mascarpone on the side. Um, this is something we kind of came up with because the previous year we had done our play on a pineapple upside down cake, which we loved, but we, you know, we're going into fall um, this year and we wanted to do something a little more seasonal. And I, I've always kind of had a thing. I don't love apple pie, if that's, uh, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> I don't love apple pie and for various like chefy reasons, I don't like serving them in restaurants. Mm. And I also have a thing where I just like, I want, always want more apple in those apple desserts. So this was kind of a way to do that. And it's kind of like a cross between a, a tartatin and a pineapple upside down cake. Mm. And it shows off those New York state apples that we're so right. proud of. <laughs> right. If you go to the farmer's market this time of year, it's like uh, apple and cabbage season. So right, exactly. you know, got to make the best of it. And how about the um, bar? Are you involved in any of the cocktails or in coordinating with the bartender on you know some of the drinks that are on the menu? Yes, yes. Uh, we have a pretty small team here at State. So we really do uh, all work in tandem. Uh, so I work with the bartenders and the general manager on the drinks. 
a lot of the uh, drinks are, you know, classic cocktails. Like we have uh, the state spritz uh, that uses a New York gin and a house made grenadine. Um, then another one is the Fifth Avenue Old Fashioned, which has New York rye and Amaro. And then in terms of pairings, it's like, I think if you're looking for just kind of that classic New York experience, I think an old fashioned and some steak tartare is a great way to start a night. And and then you have your espresso martini that's served in a really distinctive glass. Do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. So the espresso martini is served in our famous, hard to come by Empire State Building martini glass, which has what would you call it? A statue of Empire State Building? What do you? I don't even know what you call that. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. But yeah, it's become incredibly popular as as espresso martinis have as well. Right. It doesn't seem like they're dying out anytime soon. I don't think so. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And um, does the bartender ever like borrow ingredients from the kitchen to make drinks? It's some of the ones you described sound really classic, but do you do any culinary inspired? drinks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, especially over the summer, uh, when I have a lot of uh, different fresh fruits around, I'll work on um, like a really nice sangria with them that we do in, in a French press. Mm. Um, we've done like a peach lavender, St. Germain. Uh, a lot of times it is hyper seasonal, you know, it'll just be like, I have, let's say I have some wild blueberries around and then I'll just tell the bartender what I have and we'll come up with something together and run that as a special for, you know, a few weeks. Do the tourists and the people who are, you know, bona fide New Yorkers, do they tend to order different things or is that like? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't want to, you know, like compartmentalize anyone, but it would seem like they might, you know, gravitate towards different items. I don't think you should feel bad compartmentalizing them. <laughs> no, they definitely do. I mean, I, tourists tend not to eat a lot of vegetables. I have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> After my uh, few years of research here in the Empire State Building, I can tell you definitively they do not eat vegetables. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Wow. But New Yorkers do. So that's, that's good yeah. for us, right? Uh, so you can keep that balance. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about some of the ideas that you have in your repertoire that you might want to implement in 2023? That's a good question. I think I touched on one idea that I'm working on, which is um, a mushroom shawarma. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of taking uh, the idea of uh, a shawarma, but making it all plant-based. I'm actually waiting for some uh, spice mix, uh, shawarma spice from NY Shook. Uh, Mm -hmm. which is a local spice company. I love everything they do. They make um, harissas, za'atar, all kinds of nice spices. And that's another thing I kind of lean on, especially in the winter months when sometimes it's harder to find, you know, seasonal fresh produce. I lean on some other local purveyors, you know, Mm -hmm. like a spice shop or uh, grains or rices or something that I can find. Uh, So yeah, I'm working on the shawarma dish. And it might seem very early in winter, but I'm already looking into spring for a new pasta dish. I'm looking for to do something, you know, really nice and bright green with, you know, ramps and uh, morels 
and all those beautiful spring things. Mm, so yes. that's a few months away, but stay tuned. Yeah. Well, we can look forward to it okay. in the dreary days of winter. As far as other things you're looking forward to in 2023, I know you um, talked a little bit about what you're looking forward to professionally, um, but how about personally? I would say personally, I've really found myself um, kind of in a different point in my career. It's not that I know everything, but I've really kind of rounded out a lot of my career and a lot of my repertoire and a lot of my learning. And I think now is the time that I start really passing the torch and really mentoring people more one-on-one and just, you know, helping the next generation out and helping them find their voice and their style. And it's also just good. Selfishly, it's good for me too. Like Mm -hmm. they, they just kind of bring it a new life into the kitchen. Have you had any um, challenges finding people to work in your kitchen or in the front of the house? I, I would say compared to some of my other friends in the industry that I've spoken to, we've done fairly well in terms of attracting talent. You know, myself and the GM, we really like to focus on quality of life and the health of our employees too. And hopefully they feel that and they tell people and hopefully that's one of the reasons they stay working here. Thanks so much, Morgan. There's a lot to look forward to as 2023 unfolds. You can download this episode of Menu Feed and past conversations with chefs, mixologists, and restaurateurs on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Pat Kobe.